0: The Private Detective. Across 20 hard-boiled episodes, we dissected the figure around which an entire genre sprawled. The season ended, as things do, but that was hardly the final word. The detective lives on. Mike Hammer, John Shaft, and Sam Spade and Easy Rollins live on. Philip Marlowe lives on. But the modern media landscape all but assures that no property, so long as it holds the potential to turn a profit, and stay dormant forever. Which brings us to an interesting point. Do archetypes die? Do they fade away? Do they end up withering away at a resort community out in the desert? Or are they doomed to always get pulled back in? You can bet on that, but there's no guarantee they'll be the character you recognize. Take Philip Marlowe, Raymond Chandler's definitive creation, and perhaps Humphrey Bogart's too, but for the past 48 years, he's been suspended in his twilight years. It may not be death, but it's purgatory. A strange state to leave one of fiction's great acerbic minds held captive in. That's not inherently a problem, but it is a choice. One that we're going to explore through two more Chandler-inspired entries, both of which find our detective on the back side of his career. So, follow us once more into the detective agency, where we'll see how old man Marlowe has been holding up.
1: Yeah, well, like a man told me once, step out your door in the morning, you're already in trouble. Just a matter of whether you mixed up at the top of that trouble or not. That's all. I don't know if you're a detective or a pervert. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. I haven't lived a good life. I've been bad, worse than you could
0: know. It was his story against mine, but of course I told my story better.
1: Hello, and welcome to Celluloid Dirt, where two friends get together to watch new and familiar noir films and talk about them. I'm one of those friends, Fred Felzer, joined by my friend.
0: Kristen Johnson. And tonight we've got a
1: bit of a postscript for you from our season on The Private Detective. Since that recording, there's been a new Marlowe film in release, and we've paired that with the late 90s HBO release Poodle Springs for a doubleheader. That brings us up to date with all the cinematic adaptations of Marlowe, though there are some TV and radio productions we've left uncovered. But to get us started, let's look at the 1998 release, of Bob Raffleson's Poodle Springs.
0: $5,000. What's your problem, lady?
1: I'd like to hire you to find my husband. When your LA LA's number one private eye, risking your neck goes with the territory.
0: I'm talking about very heavy people. They break legs more often than they break wind. You follow?
1: That's why Marlo's moving out to Poodle Springs. $100 a day plus expenses. You lost your purse. But he's about to learn. I'm sorry, I don't do
0: purses. That trouble follows some guys wherever they go. Poodle Springs, released in 1998, directed by Bob Raffleson, starring James Kahn, with, uh, with some supporting performances uh, from Dinah Meyer, David Keith, Julia Campbell, Nia Peoples, and uh, Brian Cox. Uh, having a great year. With a notable appearance by Joe Don Baker as Marlowe's father in law. Uh, that's a uh, That's a strange thing to consider, especially when uh, Marlowe is played by a late-career James Caan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see, where to start? This is written by none other than Tom Stoppard, uh, based on Raymond Chandler's unfinished final novel of the same name, uh, which he only had completed four chapters of at the time of his death in 1959. It was completed decades later in 1989 by Robert Parker, who would also go on to write a sequel to The Big Sleep. Uh, But Philip Marlowe is a newly married man. Oh, whoa. That's a change. He and his new bride relocate to the burgeoning desert town of Poodle Springs, where her tycoon father is engaged in some high-profile land deals. Marlowe isn't destined for retirement, though course not. He gets wrapped up in a case of a two-timing photographer with intimate ties to his wife's increasingly unstable friend, Muffy. You think that's likely to put a strain on their new marriage? You'd be absolutely right. So, uh, uh, well, um, I had not been familiar until we would started the, this project. This was well off my radar. I don't, I don't think that this is one that that it's had much staying power over time. Um but uh but I I I like James Caan. I like Bob Raffleson. Um I had not seen this movie before, but I was glad that it came onto my radar for sure. What about you, Fred? Do you have any experience here before?
1: No, this just came up during the research and putting together all the Marlowe adaptations. This was on there, but it it didn't quite make sense for our main season. But then with with Neeson's Marlowe coming out, it seemed like a good opportunity to revisit and finally watch it. Um, But yeah, no, uh, James Kahn, he's a performer that I really like when he's in the right role. I think he's going to do his thing, and either the role's going to be right for that or it's not, or the director's going to be able to use that in the right way. Um Bob Raffleson, I've only recently started to dig into like five easy pieces, right? Um, yeah,
0: five easy pieces. I, I I like five easy pieces, but I but since since we're on the topic of Raffleson, I never get to talk up this movie. I absolutely love um uh, totally off the radar gem of his called Mountains of the Moon, which is um which, which is about the colonization of Africa and explorers, and it's got some terrific Roger Deakins, um photography and, uh, and great performance from England and is, uh, I think 1990. Um, it's, it's, it's well done. It's a good, um, I think it's a, a good deconstruction of, of um, colonization and, uh, and also of male friendship. Cool.
1: Um, I mean, I think I think Marvin's Deep Pieces is my only Raffeson. So um, I, I haven't I seen check it a out. whole
0: lot, um, but that's that, that's one that I rather enjoy. I mean, to catch
1: up King of uh, King of Marvin Gardens. You know, I'm pretty like sure King he I was
0: another one of those guys that was
1: just like in Jack Nicholson's circle circle. And Nicholson, as we talked about on the Chinatown episode, he's sort of like a ride or die with his friends, and um, and helped get some Raffeson movies made. And I thought it was great in Five Easy
0: Pieces, so I'm, I'm excited to to catch up some more. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, Five Easy Pieces, good movie. Really, really like it. Or deserving of its classic status, I think. Agreed. And and Khan, I'd agree with your. Your assessment—he's not someone that I would—I would immediately think to put on a list of my favorite actors. But damn it, if I—I I do feel like he gives it his all, and this is a perfect example of something where the guy could be phoning it in, and he is not. I think that—I um, think that he actually is taking the—the the role seriously, thinking it through. Whether he's top-tier Marvel is uh, Marlowe is a different—a uh, a different discussion. But—but—but um, but, but I. I don't get the sense that he's sleepwalking through this role at all. He's, um, he's 100% committed. Uh, let's, let's talk about, um, let's talk about this Marlow. Cause there's a few key changes. I don't, I guess you have to, you have to start with, he is a married man. He's an old man and a married man. That's a lot to unpack for.
1: Uh. Right. And it's interesting because it is from Chandler, right? Like he wrote the first four chapters, which sort of sets up this kind, con- this new context for him. Uh, you know, the book set in the late 50s, right before Chandler died. But, um, but otherwise, presumably the, you know, the movie to the book, to the book, to the chapters all kind of follow that that initial core setup, as far as we know. Um, and it's such an interesting decision for Chandler to make about the character. And I kind of get it if he's returning to, I, mean, I, I don't know, I didn't check the, how long it had been since the Previous novel had been written before he oh, died. Oh no,
0: I didn't. I didn't look at the uh, at the. Hold well, on well, your house. seats, everybody. We're going to take a look oh, here. So um,
1: the long goodbye was fifty three,
0: and then way this back was, was fifty eight. Oh, and so this is um, this was in the works when he died in fifty nine. He must have started immediately working on. Springs after playback.
1: Um, I don't think I've ever read playback. I feel like this might be the one Marlowe that I haven't read, and obviously I didn't read Springs, but
0: I, I think it, make, it makes sense that if you're, um, and I don't know, I don't know where what Chandler's state was, but if Chandler is, um, if, if Chandler uh is, is looking to kind of cap Marlowe off or he's looking to. Um, he's looking to advance him. and it, it does it does make sense that you would you would see him settling in with a wife, um experiencing, you know, a change of scenery, uh, getting out of getting out of l a. a lot of these things make I, I think they make sense for a late era Marlowe and something you want to play around with. Uh, i don't I don't inherently dislike any of those as choices. and and Marlow and Marlowe's someone that that. Should be well suited. Why? Why can't Marlowe have a wife? Right? He's got. um it, He, you know, he he is someone. You have that that sizzling chemistry in in the big heat with Bacall. Like he he should be able to have his thin man romance, right? And and have it too. There's a there's a world that that can exist in. Yeah,
1: but I mean, and it is where this movie winds up. But it is also sort of that, like uh, what we saw with Harper. Where it's kind of like you don't the detective shouldn't be happy, right? Like I think that's the the thing of it. I don't know. Like that, especially the the Marlowe detective. He's not he's he's a knight tilting at windmills. He's not he a well, and here's,
0: here's the here's the problem with it as it's presented here is that I can't and this is not a knock to to. Um, Dinah Meyer, who I who I like, and I've, I feel like she's the kind of actress that never got quite a fair shake. And I've always I've liked her in you know Starship Troopers or even in something like Dragonheart or Saw. But like like she's she's dependable, um, but um, but I feel like has never gotten like a chance to have a really great role anywhere. Uh, the it's not her fault that 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 this sets her up. Marlo, Marlo marrying a, an heiress mm-hmm. um, it, is, it just feels so, fooling around with, having a, a tryst with, that's one thing, but but settling down with feels like, to me, such a, a betrayal of his working class bona fides. Right, well, I think that's um, why
1: it sets it up as like, a, we met, we had a flame, we decided to get married, and then... If the movie had more room to take the time to like watch them kind of realize this is a bad decision, like I think there's potential there, but I agree that in execution currently it's just sort of like
0: it flirts with um, with the problems that that come through on this. I just it just feels like such a a fundamentally um, it's two forces that can't exist together (laughs) in, in my in my estimation, and it's really hard to square for me. Um, and that's the that's the biggest thing holding holding this particular uh, scenario back. but like that's that's what you know they're working working with from from source material on 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 down
1: uh, yeah, I
0: mean,
1: I, I mean it's definitely kind of not the most interesting. It winds up not being the most interesting take on the character for me. I don't know if that's the biggest. I don't know. I, like I'm curious what do you think of the plot. And obviously, we've talked a lot about how much the plot is or is not important to a a Marlowe story, but, um, you know, okay, like you get this sort of array of characters and then 30 years later you have to decide how they all kind of actually relate to each other and and what the final payoff is and this, you know, this guy is this, And, and so it makes sense, right? Like the photographer having a different identity makes sense in the context of other Chandler stories that have also hinged on people having double lives and pretending to be multiple identities and Marlo having to figure that out. Like that's a, a trope of Chandler specifically um, that, that felt very familiar and, and right. And I thought it was also smart, the um, the return of the pornographer, right? Like that, uh, if, you know, going back to Big Sleep, like, and, and that it is commented upon that it's 20 years later too, right? Or at, in the movie, even more times, it's still about twenty years. That, you know, it used to be like, yeah, it's a real problem that he's a pornographer and that the, the daughter of a rich man has been caught up in that kind of thing. But now, you know, Muffy got some psychiatric help and nobody cares. Like there's something really interesting about that note that that is sort of in conversation with the rest of the body of of, of work that, that I did like.
0: Well and I think I, I think that that's um, and this is this is the case with both of these these films that we're we're looking at, and 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 in a little bit different ways. Given that this actually starts as a a, a Chandler novel, but they're 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 so concerned with recreating mm-hmm. the the beats of uh, of a classic Chandler novel that that it feels like imitation rather than it it rather than um, doing it to tell a good story on its own it's just yeah. it's trying to it's trying to i mean it's fan service right it's trying to give you yeah. things that you're familiar with comfort food and uh and, and so i don't know there there's something about them um there's something about it that and uh, i i think there's there's something to talk about on an aesthetic level here too but it just doesn't it doesn't feel as dangerous to me it, right No, that makes Um, sense. And I think, too, you know, like, to me, the
1: best Chandler Marlowe stories are ones that the mystery is just a way to get to a really bittersweet heartbreak at the end, right? Like, he does the right thing, and it doesn't work out for him anyway. Um, And it feels like this is kind of playing at that, right? Like, he does the thing, but he loses his wife but uh, at least for the movie uh, to your point we just never get the time to invest in that relationship in a way where we care at the end and it just sort of feels gestured at whereas like whereas it feels like the um, you know if they had taken that idea of Marlo being a man out of time something we talked about with the long goodbye and that adaptation how it, it updated him for the 70s and if they'd run with that like really run with it and been him just constantly being in over his head because he's stuck in a 1930s way of thinking about things and that being sort of a, a source of downfall and maybe an, even him reaching the point of realizing that he does need to throw in the towel like i think that all would have been really interesting and and would have gotten at that same
0: emotional core but instead it's just kind of it, it doing the thing, like you said. It's it, it's... it's thematically um, for 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 quite a while. I this, this got me. This had me strung along, just on like, uh, oh yeah, the the setup is going well. It's um, I, I think that I was hooked enough, or I, I maybe the maybe pleasantly surprised is the right way to put it because I didn't go in with the highest of expectations on it. And, it's very competent,
1: right? Like it,
0: it, it's doing the thing, and and it doesn't it doesn't deliver. Um, for the most part it, on, on the uh, on its payoff and um and, and yeah i think i think that that's i think that's right there needs to be like that that inherent moment of tragedy punch right at the end yeah right
1: yeah i mean it is you know it is very confident it's still an hbo movie from the 90s so there's still you know i feel like things are shot up shot and close up a little bit more than they would be otherwise because it's going to be on tv and because you can stretch the production design budget a little bit more, because you're you're not in wide shots, and you know, I think it's a little limited, just due to circumstances beyond the creative uh, control of of uh, the director. But um, but no, it's but it, it just kind of like you know, kind of rolls along and does the thing.
0: What what do you um? <laughs> this is the same year that uh, that I believe that that Tom Stoppard uh did, got Shakespeare in Love um <laughs> to to win Best Picture, so um, so he's got he had he was having a he was having a good year from a writing standpoint. Um, yeah, I mean, like this, if I didn't yeah, if hadn't read it, it Tom
1: Stoppard, I would have been like, wow, who wrote this? I, what
0: what what? An, I think it's such an interesting career. He's had. Mm-hmm. I. He's, I mean, he's all over the place when it comes to what he's... what he's well, doing, sure. Some legitimately great stuff.
1: Reading into it, I feel like a lot of it is him sort of being like, Hollywood gun for hire, so he can keep playwriting and doing what he really wants there.
0: Yeah. Uh, what do you... Um, since we're talking about the, the production budget um what do you what do you make of you know cinematography how it's how it's shot how we're how i mean it's it's very very drenched in that 90s um aesthetic it's uh you know no no mistaking the the era
1: yeah and it's really weird too the it's so like you know classic marlowe or contemporary right you know they're written in the 30s and 40s. They're filmed in the 40s, the movie adaptations. They're of the moment. This is a novel begun in 58, finished in 88, filmed in 90, late 90s, set in the 60s. Set, set in six, 63, right? 63. And that we're, we're watching now 30 years after that. So it's a really weird, like, series. you know, it's like a... A frame around a frame around a frame around a frame in terms of just the the aesthetics of it because it is doing that period piece thing um, and it's just so I don't know it's something we talked about a lot too with like noir in general like post Chinatown right it's the retro noir and in certain ways I think it's limited it keeps it at a distance in a way that sort of that it it concedes from square one that it's a museum piece when it's kind of approached this way that it is sort of like a check out this phone and had the phone numbers on the bottom can you can you remember that when we used to all live like this instead of just being a movie that's a movie
0: well okay so so to take to to take it away to take that broad that concept and take it away from oh and into and, and into another medium entirely like like how do you how do you take something that has that that is of a time um and 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 continuously uh and continuously update it and try and freshen it and you know I, you think of like like shakespeare right and you and and taking taking them out of the period and taking them and trying to trying to update it to you know whatever war you want to project onto as 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 your backdrop or or wherever in time you want to set it and and is that um is that enough pulling Marlowe out of the out of the forties, dropping him into the sixties, or or whatever whatever time he ends up going to in the in the future and other adaptations, is that enough? Uh th- like that that oh, alone, say, doesn't doesn't it doesn't say anything new about him necessarily.
1: No, um, but I think it but I think this approach to your earlier comment about how it feels like fan fiction, I think this is part of that feeling, right? That it is sort of a like, yeah, remember when we used to do these kinds of movies? This is kind of like that rather than yeah. You know, and again like Chinatown is retro noir, but Chinatown is using the setting to tell a new kind of story and it is pushing it in an interesting way. But this doesn't uh, feel like it's pushing yeah. it very true um, um and i think there's and i don't I, you know i think with this specific novel and this plot right like the if you're gonna stay true to it the hinge of nevada land deal stuff does kind of require the period the time period right like that plot doesn't make sense in the 90s if you were to update updated in the way that like the long goodbye could be updated to be set in the in the seventies, and um, and still work. And obviously, they took a lot of liberties with it too to make that update work. But sort of the core elements of it still tracked.
0: Whereas, the long goodbye sure set all of these subsequent Marlow adaptations up for a for a real hard time. I mean, it's the
1: thing is that like you know the long and, and and also too I think the with this one. Because the source material is specifically about Marlowe being old, it's also tough to be like we're in the '90s, so he started in the '60s. You know, like that. the The math of that be, does become difficult. And so, I'm not saying like specifically the it should have been set in the '90s and that would solved his problems. It's more that the way it approaches it being a a period piece feels. Symptomatic of the overall approach to the story as a museum piece, as like do you remember how it used to be? Like how these kinds of stories used to be? Does this make you feel nostalgic? Is this fan service? Like I think the period elements feel part of the fan service.
0: Yeah. Does where where does where does Khan as a persona even fall on, on on that too? Because he's not. He's not someone. He's got presence and he's got acting chops, but he's not someone that that feels to me like like that ripped out of the forties noir persona. I mean, it's because it it's because you've got the the you know Godfather associations and you've got the baggage that he just naturally is going to bring with him to every role he he has from you know, from association, but but uh, he's. He's a he's a great actor. He's an uh, I don't know. He he doesn't feel he doesn't feel out of time here. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at.
1: Yeah. And he's not. I don't think he's got the charisma that you need, the kind of charisma that you need to do Marlowe.
0: That's, that's for sure. That's why. That's that's why Gould and and Powell in their own ways are are pretty effective at 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 even if they're even if you know you can't be Bogart and nor should you try to, but they they find their own well of charisma to draw from, sets them apart. That's that's missing here. Um yeah, the, uh, the ironic
1: detachment, the ability to just kind of step outside of everything by a half move. And kind of observe it and be like, yeah, this is this is goofy. It just isn't isn't there.
0: No, and I uh, and and you know we'll 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 jump in on Neeson too in a bit, but um, but it's it like imagining it's such a specific type of person that needs to do. It. You can't just plop any any marquee star in there and and have them be able to to play to play Marlowe. It's, it's at the end of this. We should you- talk about.
1: We should. Uh, Dreamcast of Marlowe.
0: I think I think I put that on. <laughs> the whole... Oh, great! Okay, good. <laughs> Gosh, what what do I what do I like about here? I think it is interesting for a theoretical final Marlowe outing to pull him out of LA. Um, I, you know, much much as the city just feels so so tied to him. I, I I theoretically like the the I like the detective being displaced as a, a as a as a means to. As I means do. To, um, like the I, don't being do here, I don't think they do enough with it. I don't think they do enough with it.
1: Honestly, I was confused. Like just in the movie, tracking stuff, I, I I was a little confused. I I don't I don't. But I don't think I like it as a final note for the character, right? Like it feels like a second to last book move to take him out and really force him to kind of confront the limitations, his own limitations, and then you and then you bring him back to L.A. for the last one. So he's back where he started but he's changed and la has changed and what does that all mean and then you send him on his way
0: yeah i i i can understand that and uh and obviously we don't know where candler would have gone with with future installments but that that feels like a feels like a graceful note to go out on i was i i I, i'm i'm just wrapping up uh my my pension binging and um and I was reminded in this, and I know it's been a while since you've read it, but at at late, late in into *Against the Day*, how the the Chicago detective uh, Lou Bassnight gets gets like relocates to Southern California and is just in this this state of uh, I don't know of of like eternal retirement there, Uh, and it just feels like purgatory. Um, It just feels like a like a, a long, sunny waiting room with 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 swimming pools and palm trees and um and and I w- I wanted a, I wanted even more of that mm-hmm. I, I feel like out of out of this but I'm intrigued by that as a direction.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Like, there's there's a lot of like the start of something interesting, which but it doesn't quite pay off. Which feels appropriate because it was the start of a book then got finished yeah. by somebody else. Very true. And so maybe Chandler would have had the vision to pull it all together. And again, no, no knock on Robert Parker. Like, he's written some great noir novels that, that uh, we have and we'll cover on this podcast. But um, but just, and I get why you'd go to him to finish the Chandler. But at the same time, like, you know, they're each singular authors. And it's tough to, to meld and blend. Especially when there was yeah. no clear outline to work from
0: is there uh, is there anything else you want to call to mind for
1: Oh you know thing? the like parent parent child relationship thing which I hadn't
0: yeah. thought about a a lot it, but you're right
1: there's it is a it, constant like rich parent wayward child thing
0: Yeah it's uh it is a major recurring theme in these Marlowe uh, I mean in in noir in general it's pretty pretty, pretty common to to see but yeah uh, I mean you know power power dynamics parents wanting to wanting to control their children children wanting to rebel uh n- natural ends for Marlowe into uh into uh society that should be existing well above him but allows him to maneuver into those circles
1: right and also like a generational Divide too, right? It's frequently like old money or new money, but the older generation being much more reserved and conservative, and the newer generation being involved in all sorts of heinous activities. And then Marlowe observing both both sides of the coin and being like, "Y'all messy."
0: Bring Bring Elliot Gould back in. I want to have him be. I want old old man. I want old man (laughs) Elliot Gould.
1: I mean, I'd be down. Uh, What
0: would that even look like? I don't know. I want it now.
1: We do Poodle Springs, but set now with Elliot Gould as. Yes. Yes, please. And it would have to be about like swinging an election.
0: Uh, That's that's probably where we'd go. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, I want to move on to uh, our most recent release. Um, That would be, it's technically a 2022 release, but it only just came out in theaters earlier this year. That would be Neil Jordan's Marlowe.
1: Los Angeles, the city of angels. More like the city of dirty little secrets. People pay me to look into the activities of its finest citizens. I'm a private detective. The name is Philip Marlowe. How private are your investigations, Mr. Marlowe? What can I do for you?
0: I'd like you to find my lover. He disappeared without saying goodbye.
1: Did he have things to hide?
0: Haven't we all? So this one's, as stated, directed by Neil Jordan, who who we know from... Crying Game, and Interview with the Vampire, of course, among other movies. Uh, stars Liam Neeson, supporting performances from Diane Kruger, Jes- Jessica Lang, Danny Houston. Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, apologies. I'm going to... Uh, adawali Akinoy Agbaje. I think I, I, um, that's right. I'm sure that's close, but probably not quite on the mark. Uh, who, who we all probably remember. Mr. Echo and Lost. Um, and, did you read uh, the
1: uh, Burn It Down stuff about Lost?
0: And Yes, I did. Oh boy, that guy probably, I, I can only imagine, got a very rotten deal there. Yes. So I feel for him. Um, uh, yeah, oh, he's also, very, like, oh, yeah, great pre- I'm sorry. Oh, and Alan oh, oh, yeah. Cumming. sorry. Not to. Not to...
1: But no, but he's got great, or, like, even here, he's got no, he's, a really small great. role. In a-
0: Makes a meal out of it, and um, I'm like, he does. should have gotten so much more work. Uh, absolutely, it's totally unfair. It got, I think you guys are very good here. Um, and honestly, the the supporting performances here—they're having a, a blast. Um, I, I I think there's some there's some fun things happening on the market. um This is written by both Neil Jordan and William Monahan. Um, it's based on the Black Eyed Blonde, uh, which is notably not written by Raymond Chandler, but by John Banville published under the pseudonym of Benjamin Black as a Marlowe novel. Uh, so uh, one, once again, we've got uh, we have not a Chandler original, or not a full Chandler original, uh, and, and I think kind of kind of similar to to thoughts on last time. This this very much feels like we're we're playing um, we're kind of playing the hits. We're playing towards certain beats that uh, that are already familiar to us that we know we're going to go over well. Um, But Marlowe is recruited by heiress Claire Cavendish to locate Nico Peterson, her lover, and the prop master at a local studio. Quickly comes to light that Nico is dead, run over by a car, only maybe that isn't quite the case. Things get out of hand fast. Claire's mother is meddling. Nico's sister gets off. There's a mysterious woman named Serena about who might just be a mermaid. A lot of moving parts. The sneaky MacGuffin. Final showdown in a prop house with a parade of eccentric characters along the way. Sounds like a classic, right? Uh, and, and as I wrote that out, I was like, actually, this was more. This was this was more fun than I felt like I was having in the moment, despite a few, despite a few highlights to it. Uh, how'd this go for you, Fred? Uh, any personal experience? Any anything?
1: I mean, I mean, Mason, I came to late in his career. I feel like the big ones, right? Like Star Wars, Love Actually. I haven't watched much, if any, of his of his, um, you know, action career of the last ten, fifteen years. You know, starting with Taken, um, when he became a a one man genre unto himself. <laughs> sure did. Um, I respect the hustle. Uh, I respect that he's out there, but. Uh, so yeah, it was interesting kind of and I feel like this dips into that a little bit, although it's fair I don't know, we'll talk about it. Um and then Neil Jordan, I don't think I've watched any Neil Jordan, actually. I think he's no. he's sort of oh. a big uh missing spot in my philography I'm
0: watching. Well well, as as mentioned, of course, is the crying game and and an interview with a vampire, which I feel like get all, all the attention. Mona Lisa is really good. I like um uh I like the uh what is it, the little Oh, own. I've seen breakfast uh, on Pluto. Yeah, I Company, quite like that. Co- Company of Wolves is good. Uh, but actually my my Jordan and movie, angels I've seen his Bruno mm-hmm. angels I haven't seen that. Um, i'm I'm a very big fan. My two favorite Jordan films are are more recent ones or comparatively more recent ones. But I really like Ondine with uh, with Colin Farrell. and i I really like uh, his other vampire movie, Byzantium with, uh, with Sir Ronan and Gemma arterton uh, I I those are I think those are both really strong entries uh, and what unites a whole lot of these movies and spills over into Marlowe here and is, uh, is that they're very Irish
1: yeah that's really interesting yeah I-, I was reading about it it looks like it was the exteriors were filmed in Spain for l a and then the interiors were all filmed in Ireland and so Every single actor is Irish.
0: <laughs> it's a, it, it's a it's a except very, for Jessica Lange, Lange and uh,
1: uh, Dan Kruger.
0: Well, there's uh, I mean, I think the casting itself is kind of interesting. I'd obviously, like to start with the big callback. I mean, if you're you're making if you're making a play to like fit in with the pantheon of noir, you might as well cast John Huston's son. Um, so, True. uh, so we have Danny Houston getting to, uh, he watches, uh,
1: he just did a little video where he was like, actually where he's walking through the Warner brother archives. Um, oh, cool. and like we at some of his dad's old stuff, which is pretty neat. Huh. Um,
0: that's really cool.
1: Yeah. He's fine in this. Um,
0: I, I don't think that anyone is gonna, is gonna cite Danny Houston as being a, as, as being an all time great actor or anything, but I think that he uh, to me, here he's he he gets on the on the the level of ham that is that is required of him. No, he's mentioned the movie. He the, quits himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and I legitimately felt like his like the the bit, the scene with him and Alan coming and everything going down in that in that room was um, was to me a breath of fresh air because it it just had more energy than everything else yeah that was job. definitely a, a highlight when
1: um, it becomes a gunfight but that's the thing is that it's like that's not Marlow right like Marlow doesn't go into it it's like if we walk in there we're coming out together you know I mean like
0: no Marlow um, this is this is what happens when you hit the tail end of uh, of of um, old man at old man action star Liam Neeson and and and, and which is still a thing to an extent, though not not the same as it was ten years ago. Uh, Three or but, five years ago, yeah. Um, um, but but I mean that you can't you can't argue with the fact that 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 is part of why he is cast here. No,
1: yeah, and why why they're like okay, it's guaranteed to make a certain amount of money because Liam Mason's in it. Uh, but it's also weird the. You know, I mean, a just in general, obviously the fight scenes are edited kind of awkwardly because he's a seventy-one-year-old man um, doing this fight choreography. But B, uh, there was a there's a scene where he's like going to talk to the gardener, and the other gardener's got the shear. Yeah, and he's like oh. surrounded, and he hits the first guy, and then just cuts, and then he's also wounded, and they're like, "Man, they got you too!" Uh, but they never. It just felt like That's they could to awesome. make it work. Or or the studio is just like this is too long you got to cut I, something I don't know but it's weird
0: I guffawed at at that uh, that when the the shears are just menacingly getting pointed and in general he's yeah, uh, like, like, a seven
1: year old man actually that's something else I want to talk about what how old does the movie want you to think Liam Neeson is or I this Marlowe is
0: I can't tell because he makes repeated references to being old but they don't really do jack shit with it
1: and uh, he served in World War One. Which would have been twenty years earlier. So, if you take Neeson at face value at seventy, that means he was a fifty-year-old man serving with the Irish Rifles during World War One, which does not
0: track. I did not do that math. Oh my! Um, <laughs> it's it's so it's so strange. And like, yeah, he he constantly is like, "I'm too old for this shit." But like, well, like literally says no that. no reflection. it, it uh, unlike. Unlike Poodle Springs, which to me is at least kind of grappling with life for changes sure. and, and for you know debate how effective it is all you want. But like this 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 just doesn't do anything. It just with, gets
1: with... at it once or twice. And, and part of it is the like I think also that Poodle Springs is engaging with a legacy, right? That Poodle Springs is sort of saying like this Marlowe is could be down the line from any of the 40s marlos right like if you collectively say that each iteration of Marlowe that was made in the in the 40s you know all the ones that we talked about at that time were kind of roughly part of a canon this Marlowe would wrap those marlos up but this, the this is not but nixon's marlo, is, marlo right. is not that There's, not in that conversation at all he's just sort of like He's now Irish, he's now served in World War One. It also felt very um uh the Perry Mason reboot, which I do enjoy, and got canceled recently, so there's only gonna be two seasons, but uh it felt very much influenced by that because that is also a like Perry Mason's a PI and he served in World War One and he's kinda fucked up about it and he drinks too much, and I'm like, I don't know that I need that from Marlowe. And he's no, like, and you are an oil man, so, and then you worked for the ADA, or you were for the DA's office. Like, what?
0: What? It's so, it's so alien. And also, um, N- Neeson, for whatever his other his other strengths are, he that he cannot quip. He mm-hmm. he seems he seems incapable of delivering that that like slightly exterior commentary that you that you need uh, out of your Marlowe, or I need out of my Marlowe, right? Uh, that like there's a a line earlier that I wrote down where where he said where uh where he's told you owe me lunch and and he's liquid or regular and that should like sing that should be a that like Bogart would 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 have eaten that up right mm-hmm. and 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 it just is dead on arrival here uh as 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 most attempts to make any any qui yeah to be. um uh, I don't know. He's, um, I guess he's, he's still, he's still got a sense of honor about his profession. Um, he tells off Jessica Lang like, I've already, I'm a little confused. I've already been paid. He's still got like that. Right. And his detective yeah.
1: buddy is like, you, you love getting, getting knocked out. I'm like, and that is true. He does enjoy getting knocked out a lot.
0: Yeah. For, um, for hopeless causes. Um. Both, both Khan and Nissen are, uh, and you know, despite despite age, they're just they're they're too they're too physically imposing. You um, think so? For, interesting. I, I think. I mean, I like not that not that I find Neeson to be an intimidating presence necessarily, but he's a he's a bigger guy. He's, no, no, I mean, no. That's
1: an interesting point. Yeah, I, I get I get what you're saying. I did. I mean, I didn't definitely note the constant like you're a big guy, aren't you? Which felt very much like. Uh, What's his name in the the seventies version of Big Sleep? Um, oh,
0: and, B- and Mitchum, of course, with Bart uh, Mitchum, because when he when he walked so in and she was like, he's, "You're he's so tall." Imposing, he's an imposing guy, and was like, I don't know how tall Elliot Gould is, but he feels like he is too. But he just carries himself in such a different way, right? That it, it, it plays. Speaking of, he's not
1: imposing,
0: yeah. um,
1: but I don't know. All those felt kind of in, in conversation with Bogart's first enters the 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 manor, and she's like, "You're so short." Yeah. But he has fun with it too, right? He's like has a witty comeback to that, and like you said, I, like I don't this this Neeson iteration is not going to come back with a, a witty like self deprecating something or other. He's just going to be like, yeah, I am short, and I also served in the war, and I'm torn up about it, and, and I'm there's, Irish.
0: There's just not. Uh, I mean, there's there's like, there's... and why does he have an
1: like Neeson's American accent if he specifically is Irish?
0: Very they're like, strange choice. He
1: served with Ireland's troops during World War One and then moved to America and then lost his accent, even though he probably could do the accent.
0: Like what what are we doing here? I I I I can't I can't swear it. It's it's very weird. And his and the oh the the lack of uh, of sexual chemistry is, is um, is really palpable here. Khan con gets con gets away with more than he probably should, just because uh, it feels like he's
1: he's a little bit younger. Like he's still older, yeah. and it's still right. kind of a. And I think we'll touch on this in a wrap up. But like again, going back to the Mitchum through to these, like uh, him being old, the way that, that his age, the age of these Marlos intersects with the power fantasy, is weird.
0: It, it's very, very weird. Um, oh, and, and, and gosh, like this is—I mean, this is where we're at. This is where our Marlos have gone <laughs> since the seventies, since, since nineteen seventy-five or whenever that the, um, uh, whenever Mitchum started in.
1: You know, we touched on the the, the plot summary, like the ending with the props, and all of a sudden we're talking about Maltese falcons. And I'm like, yeah. and there's a reference yeah, to like we could have been Nick yeah. Nor Charles.
0: Yes, this is this is where it be, it it moves over into fan service and where I start to like. I, and I'm I'm I understand the the like the little jolt that you can get from like catching a ra- reference or something, but I don't. Uh, I mean, this is largely lost on me. And in fairness, this is lost on me when it happens in superhero movies and in other mediums. Also, I'm I'm not. That's that's not something that I tend to give bonus points for when I'm when I'm watching movies. Right. Well, especially
1: because it's like they're specifically for the purpose of the Easter egg, right? It's not like yeah the plot needed something there, and so we're doing this. It's more like we're gonna work it so we can get this reference in. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. Yes, you reminded me of a better movie. Congratulations.
0: Yeah, you you didn't you didn't need to specifically call out Maltese Falcons when when we already know there's a there there's a, a, a MacGuffin statue that that, is, that I don't mind in and of itself. It's fine. Right. But, that, I think I think that's I think it's pretty effective. I actually like the I like the whole prop house thing. I think it lends to a good set piece at the end. But it's not uh,
1: integrated. Like I agree. Like that's a cool idea. But then, right. we're like it ignores oh, oh, Hollywood. Totally. For so much of it, like you know, there's. I mean, guess it is kind of touching, but it's so much. It's so back burner throughout, right? Like he bought a studio for her. She's a former, you know, Jessica Lang is a former uh, silent film starlet, and uh, the the ambassador bought a studio so that he could get her business, but also make himself rich. And we we're never there. And part of this, I feel like, is the like we're in Spain filming exteriors, in Ireland filming interiors, and so maybe that's part of it. I don't know, but.
0: All of this sounds like, great on on paper. If you're saying like, what do I have to do to make that to recreate a Marlowe? uh there are ideas that if you were tossing around, if they were executed well, then then right. But they, I think you need to foreground it more.
1: Like, then Marlowe needs to be constantly on the film sets, and it needs to be about that world. And then it's all going to pay off. Like, you know, uh, yeah. I don't know. There's it's an interest again. It's a kernel of an interesting idea, with the execution. I was like, well, okay, yeah.
0: Um, whew, um uh how about how about um Cedric? Uh, as, as we talked we talked he's, about him he's
1: drumming, he it's a real jolt of energy. I love that he like got to shoot uh <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so, got to shoot, yeah, I cast your coming, and like I mean, I kinda wish like their their banter was so much more fun than a lot of other stuff in the movie that I wish that we just got more scenes of to them together before that happened. And then also, like, he partners up with Marlo, but then doesn't do anything for Marlo for the last part of it. He's like, I'll drive you around. I'll, I'll be your chauffeur. And then you're like, then I'm going to d- disappear the rest of this movie until the end. When I, I become I, Eddie I was- Mannix.
0: But he becomes a really welcome presence, and every every moment, every moment he's there, uh, it's a little, it's just a little bit more interesting than yes. it was. But, I was really afraid he
1: was going to get shot after he killed Alan. Coming, I, I thought, yeah. like there used to be one final little thing because, and I was like, that would have been very disappointing.
0: No, and again, I think like how how they have things wrap up for him and him getting a getting a job there. I think I think those are things that on paper. Sound good, and the and the movie kind of bungles the the execution of it. There's a little bit too much um, narration at the end, mm-hmm. um, for for my liking. Um, it's pretty the, bad, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, I I liked this, I think, more than the general consensus, but not a whole lot more. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it. I mean, this is about what I expected, kind of expected it to be based on everything, all the evidence. Um, yeah. And it just it just kind of did, did the beats.
0: Um, um, it as far as as far as it's recreate as far as the cinematography as far as, far as recreating period piece. Oh yeah, that was, yeah, that was um, weird.
1: That was one. Of, it was one of the weirdest looking movies I've seen in a while. In terms of like digital cinematography and whatever post color correction they were doing on it, like it it was. There were some shots looked really good, and other shots, I was like, "This is a choice that I'm not sure I'm on board with."
0: Yeah, I um, yeah, you're spot on with that. It's and like the daylight scenes are so
1: desaturated,
0: so it's so odd. And I think these period recreations that that start, and I'm excluding Chinatown from this, but but I I I I very much think that the to to me the. The, the text that I want to zero in on is two jakes um because because I feel like that's so indicative of what every every other one of these scents has kind of uh, like they've taken all the wrong lessons from Chinatown right and no, I, what that does well in recreating something
1: do you agree with you except for the easy Rollins spin
0: sure, sure I think that, but I agree I that's mean, an I exception mean, to prove it, the rule. It, like exactly um there there's there's many cases like this where I see like them making the same damn mistakes that Two Jakes makes and, um, and just not not understanding what was great about. Uh, and, and, and even though Marlowe is on the mind, I feel like you like everyone's benchmark for how to do this kind of noir is Chinatown. Right. And yet no one does it. Doesn't matter. No one no one recreates Chinatown because you Right. Don't. They're doing
1: they're doing period piece as a way to do noir as a form of like dress up rather than choosing a period to make commentary on a narrative that is like that has something to say, right? Like it feels like to me, Chinatown's setting and time flow from story. Like the story is what's driving those choices. And it feels like for a lot of these, it's flowing from genre. It's being like, this is the convention of the genre. And I, and I think there's like a, a fear that audiences won't buy, won't take a private eye seriously in a modern context. There's a lot of conversation lately about um, cops on TV shows and how to do a procedural so you're not doing propaganda and that, that kind of thing. And so I think we are seeing more PIs on screen. And so there was um, town with Colby Smilber's a few years ago, then there was um, just this year, the past year or so, there's been um, So Help Me Todd.
0: It's it's an interesting, that's an interesting point because this, we should be right for for a, a private eye. But
1: I, I agree, but they all treat it like Big Lebowski is the thing. They're all like these goofs are going to somehow find their way to solving the crime, but we're not going to take it too seriously. And obviously, like, it's a fine balance. And as we've been talking about this whole episode, Marlo kind of shifts. The other way was like, we're going to take it seriously, but we're still going to have a little fun. But it feels like in the same way that, um, you know, whenever you get to the point in a genre cycle where you get the spoof movie, you're like, okay, the genre's kind of done for a little while, and it needs to reset because we've, We've just acknowledged all the all the most ridiculous elements about it in the most forthright way possible. It kind of feels like Big Lobowski did that to the detective, and then we never quite recalibrated. You know, we we talked about like uh Gone Baby Gone and um I know, what was the other one we did that episode? Um Walk Among the Tombstones. Yeah, and those are just like another Mason, right? Um and those are very grim
0: and serious and then i feel like otherwise and then you hmm. have something like under the silver lake just regressing under, silver lake, I mean, that but, whole, but under the silver lake is interesting because it pulls instead of it, it very not, much pulls the 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 long goodbye route versus so long goodbye but it's also the, like big because
1: he's not actually a pi right he is an everyman who is ridiculous in certain ways who is being drawn into a mystery
0: yeah and it's and and you're totally right that just like you can't ignore Chinatown in these conversations you can't ignore the Big Lebowski because they're just they're such pivotal texts that everyone that is making a damn detective movie is in some way is is reacting to the cultural impact of, of those movies.
1: Yeah and I think in general Cohen's has kind of really set how pop culture thinks about crime movies that aren't very serious, right? Like they're about solving crimes. Like you know, you can still get uh, uh, a robbery movie that feels still like it takes it seriously, right? Like, and, and probably part of his heat, right? Like heat sort of meant like okay, we can still do these, and it's thrilling because we're building up to this thing, and then they're gonna there's gonna be fallout and chases and shootouts and all that kind of stuff, and those are great as just an example. Whereas the like. Somebody's dead, and we're gonna, and we're not cops, and we're gonna figure out who and why and it's gonna be a tangled web. It's just it is never really recovered in a way that's like we can take this seriously, but it can be fun and enjoyable, but not like, and not to say there's anything wrong with it either, right? Like I'm kind of enjoying, so help me Todd. I'm looking forward to watching our kids' uh, detective show that I cannot think of the name. But um at the same time, I'm like, yeah, we're You know this Marlow. It's like it's got to be serious. It's got to be walk among the tombstones. It's got to be it's got to be a period piece too, right? Like it's got to be that provides us a context where he can do this. Whereas like a modern day PI that we're supposed to take seriously but have fun with, like it's just tough to picture.
0: So, so a few different directions that this can spin. Obviously, we're we're stuck in old man Marlow mode. To put a button on that part of it, are there ways? How does that work? Like, are there ways that that could go, could work really well? I don't think we've seen that.
1: I think so, but I think you gotta. It's gotta be like a, a last hurrah kind of thing. Like, if you if you do what Poodle Springs does, and it's sort of like you're old, but you still got it, then it's for like, well, then why is he old? Like, we might as well just be in his thirties um and again i think like making him old making the period piece all these things are just ways to be like yeah this is your father's genre or even this is your grandfather's character and to kind of a real distancing safe effect um and a and, a, and that fan service effect um you know i think it's i think if it's old then it's got to be with stakes it's got to be like it's got to be logan right like that's the way to do old man Marlowe is to do old man logan
0: yeah um that's I, I, w- I was I was definitely thinking Logan as a, a as a, an example of how that how, how it can be done well and and and, and work. I kept thinking I'm I'm bingeing um Twin Peaks the return right now. Um so I like thinking of thinking of um, of <laughs> uh a bunch of old folks <laughs> running running around um just trying to do their damn jobs and and you know dealing with all the madness that swirls around it. I, I mean it feels it feels like that like there is there are ways to do that in a really engaging manner. And obviously no one else has any business imitating Lynch and doing his thing, but but it works really well in the return. And it's also a bit just side note, so, good lord, it's so so many people have died from that production since it's haunting watching that. And it's yeah. only five years old.
1: And it was talks about doing, like, another season after that, and I feel like at this point it would be very difficult.
0: Yeah. Uh, which is mm-hmm. a shame.
1: Also, the Patricia Cat series is High Desert. That came out this year on Apple TV. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm excited to watch it. Like, that feels very much in my wheelhouse. But at the same time, I'm like, can we get a detective that's, like, that's Marlowe? That's, like, and not the pastiche of Marlowe, but Marlowe.
0: All right. Well. Do uh, You want a fan cast? <laughs> Who's who? Who sure. do you make? Who do you make, Marlo? Who's who is your modern? Yeah, I've uh, just got the. I, don't know, I think
1: Chris Pine. Uh, Chris,
0: Chris Pine's got. Chris, Chris Pine's. I. I do think could uh, could bring that 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 charisma that is and just, needed,
1: and just knowing enough to be able to kind of spin it. You know.
0: He's got enough of an impish quality to yeah. bring out um yeah if, joker yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this is slightly older though i don't know i don't know that older than bogart was um but um but if if neil jordan wanted to do an irish age-appropriate Marlowe, just work with colin farrell um I, I Ooh, think he would that, have been good, yeah. I I think he very really much good. could have he very much could could have hit the notes that are needed. He would have been older, but not not out of out of appropriate range. Uh, and he's a yeah. great actor. And he'll uh, yeah, definitely work for them. Yeah, probably couldn't afford him for this, though. especially because uh, it's not, not. I feel like you know I feel
1: like he's willing to do stuff on the cheap, but if he believes in the project, and I don't know if he believes in this. Very, um, very
0: and Colin Farrell was coming off of what. Well, like, maybe his best year ever left here. So, true. Also, true. Um,
1: what do you think about uh, and part of this is just be constantly going to this option. What do you think about like uh, Stephen Yoon?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I like, like he's, that. He's my go
1: to answer for a new Indiana Jones. Um, it does make me wonder, I like, like could you do, do Marlowe?
0: uh i'm i'm intrigued by that he's a, he's very good um uh, and uh uh and and he's got range too i think i think he'd be up for it that's a good fit hmm. uh who else would be it's it's such a it's such a particular thing you just can't drop anyone anyone in there um, like I don't want him to be too young. I want I want him to have, he has to have a certain level of world weariness right. baked into him. He's right. a little
1: jaded, jaded already. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Those seem like it's a good, start. least, good starting point. Yeah. Well, we'll, oh, well that thinking up, so. about,
1: um, you know, the uh, Cowboy Bebop live action. What about, um, John Cho? Oh, John Cho?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that I, I, I uh, watched exactly one episode of, of, I watched five TV, minutes right? of one episode of <laughs> that. Got through one. Um, but I like John Cho. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with him. Yeah, I think, I think that's a, that's a good starting point. We got, mm-hmm. we have at least a few. I don't know when, when they dust Marlo off again, but I'm sure ready for, for old man Marlo to, to sit in retirement for a little while. I wonder what. Um, so the first short story
1: with Marlow, well, he's not named Marlowe yet, is um, 1933. Huh. So five more years, he'll enter the public domain as as Mallory, and then uh, another two years after that. It looks like his his first appearance is uh, so 2030 is when
0: Marlowe enters the public
1: domain.
0: All right. Well, we should be probably expecting something around then. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait but... for my
1: generative AI to make me
0: my. Uh... Oh, your per- your personal Marlowe, whatever whoever you want. You want Stephen yun to be exactly. You can have you can have Ugh. yourself God. star. You can have James Corden be your Marlowe if you want. Finally, what the world's been waiting
1: for. Yes.
0: Um, um,
1: no, and just again, I, your two Jake's reference, I think, is really, really apt. Just uh, looking through our notes here, I'm like, that is a really good pull. We're it just, all kind of the left turn.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just where where we start learning the wrong lessons, and we're still learning the wrong lessons. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, okay, where do you slot Con and Neeson in, in terms of other Marlowe's?
0: Um, gosh, I mean, I can't, I mean, it's, it's, it's Bogart and Gould and then, and then, uh, and then Powell is clearly number three for me in that, in the, in the Marlowe rankings. Um, and I guess, I guess Khan can be number four. Khan's
1: like mid, mid-pack know? for me with the other, like, like Harry Lloyd, not Harry Lloyd, Lloyd.
0: What was his name? What was the other one? Oh. I have I have forgotten what Lloyd Lloyd uh Lloyd, Nolan, Nolan. There we go. Uh, Lloyd Nolan, yeah. Uh you
1: know, I I put him around Lloyd, Lloyd Nolan and
0: James yeah, Garner I mean, and that
1: that I, that I was, whole tier Mitchum
0: he he does he does have a... I, I think I think Mitchum was too out of step for me and I and even mm. though even though I think Khan and and Garner on on paper have something some similarities in their in their approach here i liked i like khan's performance a good deal more but uh neeson's neeson's pretty low he's, he's i mean it's not, not as effective. it's not as dire as like
1: sanders or uh oh, montgomery oh. or leading the lake montgomery which is not montgomery's fault it's just the the way the, the film's done like it's right above that but it's not it's it's in between that tier and the the mid tier yeah for me
0: it's it's just so you're not gonna you're not gonna top you're not gonna touch bogart or gould in this uh which is not to say like don't even bother again powell powell does pretty well considering all all things but um but uh, I think it's a pretty big gap for me after those three and the rest of the, the models. Yeah. I mean, last
1: one for me is uh, I, I want to I wanna see that Danny Glover one. I'm really curious to see that
0: Danny Glover one. Uh, well, we can track that down, too. We well, might as well ahead. start in on the rest of our our, our other, other mediums of Marlowe. There's a lot out there. Okay, so anything else in conclusion?
1: Uh, oh, one other thing that I thought of when watching Marlowe that this reminded me is the, um, the Nick and Nora reference made me realize that that's basically what's happening in Poodle Springs is, you know, he's a PI who marries Rich, but then doesn't retire, right? Whereas Nick Charles marries Rich and retires and then gets sucked back into the mysteries anyway. Um Marlowe raised Rich but can't help
0: himself from, from working. Because well, Marlo can't quit.
1: Yeah.
0: Well neither can Powell, but uh or Nora. No, Powell absolutely
1: can't quit. It's uh it's Nora who's forcing yeah. him to be it. A...
0: <laughs> <laughs> well anyway, that was just my last uh... No, that's a good that's a good call out. Um uh, and, and very true. I mean I think I think that's what I think they're dancing around that and like they, they want to, I think Stoppard wants to write some of that. Oh, is, that'd be great. I, I, think I would the, love to watch a stopper yeah. and make a Nora Charles yeah. update. Yes. But alas, we do not have that. So, I guess, what else have you been watching? It's time for our, our segment. Uh, it's been a while since we've recorded. So, no doubt we've got some things to bring up. Uh, what's in the box in honor of Kiss Me Deadly? What is something you've watched recently? It's so good. It deserves to be glowing in that suitcase.
1: I mean, it's been a while since we did our last episode. I watched lots of things. Uh, I'm going to shout out, uh, I don't know. What do I want to shout at? I'm gonna shout out two movies. Uh one is Sex Lies, and Videotape, I finally watched. Uh and I love Soderbergh. And this might be my favorite movie of his. Um it is I just it really worked well for me. And uh James Spader's Sex Alien was great. And uh it felt it was really interesting. It felt like um A Kiyoshi Kurosawa movie, but instead of things going terribly wrong with some kind of cosmic horror bent, it just is James Spader arriving with a video camera that that upsets the delicate balance of their uh, suburban lives, uh, and for the better. But, um, yeah, it's just really worked for me um so that was great am glad you finally watched it uh and then have you, um
0: have you uh to, to mm-hmm. um tie to that have you watched uh, sanctuary um, which came out like, like a month ago maybe uh it's um it, it's uh uh, it, it's Is that the Margaret Qualley? Margaret Qualley Chris I have not watched that. Yeah, yet. Yeah, I it, do
1: want um, um, to a, watch
0: it. It, it. I think it's a very, I, I think it's an interesting thing, especially because of the Margaret Qualley, Andy McDowell. Thing. Right. I think it's an interesting, uh, be an interesting double feature with Sex Lies and Videotape. Mm. Um, okay. Uh, it, doing something different for sure, but, but it's a, it's a good two hander. Um, okay. Yeah. No, I'm excited but, to watch it. I like some um, some uh, sex Lies, and videotape though. Yeah, that's Top my, Tier
1: Soderberg. Definitely for me, it instantly top of the list. When I a while since so I watch Ocean's Eleven, so I'd have
0: to. I'm I'm an in and out, uh, uh, fan, but uh, but that's but sex Lies, and videotape probably probably.
1: I so, uh, think personally, Schizopolis, Top Tier Soderbergh for me. Oh, uh, not awesome. for everybody. It's like Soderberg doing Lynch, but. Uh, I had a blast, hmm. um, but no. The other movie I was gonna say is uh, I finally watched Cool Hand Luke, and wouldn't you know it, very good movie. Uh, particularly, I thought the you know, obviously this podcast is a Paul Newman podcast at heart. Um, <laughs> we we believe in the Noom uh, as he's as he's colloquially known by the kids. Um, but beyond that, uh, the way that movie uses light and um color was astounding. And also montage. His use of montage was fantastic. It felt very new wave
0: inspired. So
1: uh
0: so yeah cool Hand it's loose. just a really good a, a really good use of power in a changing era for American film. Like like uh, capitalizing on what Newman can bring that literally no one else in all of cinema can yeah. can, can do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah great movie is great. Uh, um, I am going to call out, I went on a Maya Darren binge, and if you haven't done so, it's particularly easy, because her movies are, and they are on YouTube, and I'd seen, um, I've been a big fan of uh, Meshes of the Afternoon for a very long time, but for whatever stupid reason, I've never sought out any of her other movies, and so I fixed that. And in particular, I really want to call out *At Land* and *Ritual and Transfigured Time* as two that are particularly worth your time. They are shot gorgeously, they are mesmerizing, they are one hundred percent the tonic you need for for any other '40s studio cinema that you're watching. If you're if you're thinking, as I sometimes do, that um, gosh, I wish uh, I wish that there was a bit more. Uh, variety within this decade. I wish there was a bit more uh, of of adventurous spirit, uh, and because the studio system is has such a stranglehold on what what is being put out there and what we see. Uh, Maya Darren is absolutely who you need to be watching. Uh, they're just so freeing. There's something there's something they're surreal, but there's there's a unlike unlike someone like um, like Jean Cocteau, who I like quite a bit. he's very mannered in his Mm -hmm. surrealism and and darren is just so loose and free and i i think it's absolutely mesmerizing
1: generally i agree actually atlanta is probably my least favorite of hers because it felt feels very mannered to me um it it feels a little more self-conscious and like programmed whereas the other ones feel much more intuitive but meshes and ritual are two of my favorites by her ritual especially like ritual
0: was a movie I watched, and I was like,
1: oh, you, you know, you're not... The choreography, oh my God. The choreography, but also the editing and the way it manipulates film, where you're like, oh, this isn't... You're not using the performance as the core material of the art form. You're using the medium as the core material of the art form, and, like, what you're doing with, to the film itself is... As much the focus as what's happening within the film
0: yeah it's 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 absolutely arresting um i uh, uh easy for anyone listening easy to to check her stuff out i, I just think she's marvelous and um uh, and, and and um i i think i will i will comfortably it's no secret that that um my favorite directors are are the archers and i i love me some powell and pressburger but i would put her right up there with like like these are that the if you're like looking to the 1940s and looking outside of noir uh for for any viewing i i recommend diving in wholeheartedly you will not be disappointed
1: No, nope. and it'll take you an hour to get their exactly. older stuff All right,
0: well, we're shaking the rust off here, huh? But it yeah. feels good. Exactly, back, back to it. Well, thanks as always for joining us on this excavation, of the darkest and grittiest of genres. You can find us online at celluloiddirt.com and on Letterbox under the handle Celluloid Dirt. Join us next time as we prepare to launch our second season where we will be leaving our private detective in the rearview mirror and setting our sights on that other classic noir archetype the femme fatale until then may your viewings be riddled with scandal and desperation good night
1: celluloid dirt is a strange phantom production written and produced by tristan johnson and fred pelster music by kevin mcleod his work can be found at incompetech.com if you like the podcast tell a friend